Hello and welcome to Truth in Journalism, a radio broadcast dedicated to applying the Word of God to current events. Well, today on Truth in Journalism, we're going to talk about France. Our article is from thedailymail.com and is entitled, Out of Control Woke Leftism and Cancel Culture from the U.S. is a Threat to France because it attacks the nation's heritage and identity, French politicians and intellectuals say. By Francis Mulraney. Politicians, prominent intellectuals, and academics in France have voiced concern that out-of-control leftism and cancel culture from the United States is threatening French identity. They are arguing that American ideas on race, gender, post-colonialism, especially those coming from U.S. universities, are undermining French society and are an attack on French heritage. The collection of intellectuals arguing that France is being contaminated by the leftism of America was buoyed on last year after French President Emmanuel Macron appeared to side with them. In a speech in October on the fight against separatism, Macron warned against leaving the intellectual debate to others as he cautioned of the certain social science theories entirely imported from the United States. His education minister, Jean-Michel Banquet, also warned in October that there is a battle to wage against an intellectual matrix from American universities. The debate came to a head this week after the new director of the Paris Opera, Alexander Neef, released a 66-page report on diversity at the company in which he vowed to diversify staff and to ban blackface. It came after five black members of the ballet company circulated an open letter among the Paris Opera's 1,800 employees last summer calling for greater diversity. Neef was targeted for the decision by far-right leader Marie Le Pen and the French newspaper Le Monde, which said he soaked up American culture for 10 years while he worked in Toronto. This month also saw the publication of a book by social scientists Stéphane Baird and Gérard Noirier, in which they claim that race is a bulldozer that destroys other subjects. They added to the New York Times that they did not believe race should not be studied as an academic subject in France, as the secular government does not recognize it. Some French intellects have also argued that American universities are to blame for giving justification to acts of terrorism carried out by Muslims. After three terror attacks last fall, Education Minister Blanquet accused the universities of being complicit. He was supported in an open letter from a hundred prominent scholars that blasted social theories transferred from North American campuses. One of the signatories, Gilles Capel, argued that American influence led to a sort of prohibition in universities to think about the phenomenon of political Islam in the name of a leftist ideology that considers it the religion of the underprivileged. Historian Pierre-André Taguif argued the same that the American-style black question was a totally artificial importation to France. He said that it was all driven by hatred of the West as a white civilization. The common agenda of these enemies of European civilization can be summed up in three words, decolonize, demasculate, de-Europeanize, Taguef said. Straight white male, that's the culprit to condemn and the enemy to eliminate. Macron had previously mostly remained silent on the matter, with the government line being dismissive of race and systemic racism. It is illegal in France to collect data based on race, and for many, the country's national identity rejects diversity and multiculturalism, instead focusing on fundamental rights and core values like equality and liberty. Okay, so there are about a million ways we could go with this story, but the one that I think is significant 
and that points us in the right direction is France's deliberate and considered choice to reject race as a concept. Now, let's clarify what that means. It means that, at least in post-war France, race is not a meaningful category. The French census is taken based upon citizens and immigrants. They don't collect data, at least not officially, about people's skin color. And this is perfectly in line with the ideals of the French Revolution. And for all that was evil in the French Revolution, the ideals were high and lofty, and I would argue good. Liberté, égalité, fraternité, or liberty, equality, and brotherhood are the ideals of the French Revolution and became the official French motto in the Third Republic. All these are good things, in fact, and I, and I would argue that they are objectively good, even if the way that the French went about getting them and implementing them were corrupted and fell far, far short of the ideal. But in that ethos, liberty, equality, and brotherhood is the absolute legal leveling of the population. When the Bourbon monarchy, or the Ancien Régime, fell, class distinctions went with it. There was no longer an aristocracy, at least there wasn't supposed to be. The nobles were just citizens. They referred to each other as citoyens, much like in Soviet Russia, people were referred to as comrade or tovarish. To the French mindset, race is not a meaningful category. Again, at least not officially. The official motto is that anyone under French rule is French. And in fact, in the 1950s, when Algeria was trying to throw off French rule, the conservatives love to say Algeria is France. To the conservative French mindset, just because the Mediterranean split Algeria and other French colonies in North Africa from France, and even though North Africans were significantly different ethnically from the ethnic French, this made no difference at all. Algeria was France. This idea that you're a citizen or immigrant and that there are no other meaningful categories is actually, in my humble opinion, a much more healthy and certainly a biblically accurate sentiment than the concepts of race that we have in America. Because while the Bible speaks a lot about nationalities, and even the broad strokes origins of nationalities, and even relationships between nationalities, the Bible does not really recognize race as a meaningful category. Indeed, especially when we look at the prophetic books, the distinction is always about nations. The Bible doesn't concern itself with red, brown, yellow, black, and white. The Bible concerns itself with two meaningful distinctions between peoples. First, the Bible's most important and really the only important distinction is the distinction between the saved and the lost, sheep and goats, believers and unbelievers, in Christ and not in Christ, is the most important and most meaningful distinction between people. Second, the Bible's next most important distinction between groups of people is nationality. Now, I've talked about this before, so I'm not going to spend time defending that position. But do a quick search and you'll find out that the word nation and distinctions between nations continue to be meaningful in the millennium and into eternity. This means that for a Christian, being American or French or Chinese or Nigerian or Maori or Mexican matters some. But what your skin color is, is at least as a category, utterly meaningless. This doesn't mean that skin color is meaningless. God gives a diversity of skin pigmentation because God loves unity and diversity because God is unity and diversity. Black is beautiful, as is white, as is brown and yellow and red and every other skin tone. But just because black is beautiful doesn't mean that black is a meaningful category. White isn't a meaningful category either. God doesn't recognize Latin or Latino or Latina or Latinx. Biblically speaking, these are empty words. 
Mexican, Cuban, Guatemalan, Honduran, Dominican, Puerto Rican. These refer to nations, both politically and to some extent ethnically. Native American isn't a meaningful category, but Cherokee and Miami and Lakota and Apache and Salk and Fox and Narangonset are. And one could even argue that perhaps groups of tribes can be considered nations, like the Iroquois Nation, made up of five tribes and later six, because they became a political entity. The Bible recognizes ethnic nations and political nations. That's it. Race as a concept is not a biblically meaningful category. And as I would argue, it is a completely absent category. And I know you may think I'm hammering on this same point, and maybe I am beating a dead horse, but this is important. Now, here's what this doesn't mean. Just because race is not a meaningful category in the Bible that doesn't mean that a lot of people don't live as though distinguishing between black and white and Latino and Asian matter. A lot of people do believe and behave this way. And so we've constructed reality in a way that is sinful. Again, I'm not denying that white people are lighter than black people. I'm not saying that we can't generally guess someone's ethnic origin by skin color. You can typically tell apart people whose most recent ancestors were from Scotland than from Uganda. Not always, but generally. If you put a Ugandan and a Scot next to each other, you can guess which is which. But that doesn't mean that race, the way we currently think of it, is biblically meaningful. In the Christian worldview, the only thing that really matters is whether you're in Christ or not. The whitest, blondest, blue-eyedest Sammy reindeer herder who believes in Jesus is just as much my brother or sister as the blackest, curly-hairedest, brown-eyed Ethiopian. On a secondary level, God has and does and will treat nations, which are political entities, and as ethnic entities, as units. We know that when God blesses and judges nations, he blesses and judges them as political and ethnic entities. But nowhere in the Bible do we see a cursing or a judging of the white race or the black race. The closest we come is Noah's cursing of Ham, but that's Noah, not God, and this is a very disputed passage. The other place where there is a possible cursing of a group is when God curses and judges the Canaanites. But here God is cursing a cluster of nations, not as a racial entity per se, but as a coalition of peoples who inhabit a specific place and who are all descendants of Canaan. And even here, we're talking about a generally ethnically homogenous group of tribes with a known common ancestor, very similar to Israel or Edom. While the Bible is unclear about what constitutes an ethnic nation, it is very clear about what constitutes a political nation, government, and borders. Acts 17.26 says, From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. I want to note that the Bible is extremely plain that all people are one people and that all nations are meaningful but sometimes arbitrary distinctions. What matters here mostly is that God has a sovereign plan about political nations. And these historically have been ethnic nations, but not always. Rome was multi-ethnic at her height. The Greco-Macedonian Empire was a collection of various Hellenistic tribes. The Persian Empire was made up of the Medes and the Persians. And of course, the Medes and the Persians, like the Babylonians, were made up of many various united tribes. Indeed, there's really no such thing as a German. A German is a person who lives in Germany. But Germany came, like Italy, after a lot of small city-states and principalities and mini-nations joined together. If we look linguistically, there's very little reason why we wouldn't consider all Germans, Austrians, and many of the Swiss to be one nation, but we don't. 
In the same way, the French-speaking Belgians aren't considered French, nor are Italian-speaking Swiss considered Italian. And the French is an arbitrary concept because the French are a mixture of the Celts and Franks and Bretons and Gauls and Romans and Flemish and Catalans and Basques and all sorts of people, but they all coalesce into a kingdom and a nation. It seems that God in the Bible treats a people as a nation either based upon ethnic group or political identity, but political identity trumps ethnic identity with the exception of the Jewish diaspora. When people group themselves by ethnic heritage, God deals with nations based upon ethnic heritage. When people group themselves politically, God deals with nations based upon political organization. But again, this flies in the face of the concept of race. Revelation 7 says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. When we look at the most meaningful distinction in the Bible, it's being in Christ. Those who come out of the Great Tribulation are comprised of people from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. Or in Greek, it's ethnos, kai phulon, kai laon, kai gloson. And the order here seems to either be descending or unimportant. And since the order can only be descending or irrelevant, it means that not only is there no reason to interpret the word people or loss to mean race, but there's no exegetical basis for it either. All throughout the text, in places where race could be established as a meaningful category for distinguishing people, it is absent. That does not mean that people don't live as though race were a real thing. What it means is that race should have no meaning for Christians. That doesn't mean that we pretend that we're all exactly the same. That's dumb. But it does mean that the old line of Darwinist theories about the races are empty categories that needlessly divide. And that if Christians are to think biblically about skin color, and justice in America, we ought to think a little more like the French. I hope and pray we will, and I hope you'll join us again next week for another exciting episode of Truth and Journalism. Thank you, and may God bless your day to his glory.